This hour is sponsored by BitCentral, efficient media workflows. is NAB Show Live. This is a highlight for me. I'm a geek. I love technology. <laughs> I've got, we'll call them a panel, but they're really just a bunch of friends of mine who are in the industry. And what we want to talk about and what I want to know is how are these different technologies? We've got HDR, we've got 8K, we've got 4K, um, we've got IP. How is this affecting the indie filmmaking and television industry? So I'll let my guests introduce themselves. First with Gary. Hi, I'm Gary Adcock. I'm a creative technologist. Uh, I live in Chicago, and I do the strange things. I'm the one that has to tie uh, new technology together for clients. Yeah, and he does some pretty amazing things. I've known Gary for quite some time, yeah. and he's, he's my go-to guy when I have a question. And next we have... <laughs> uh, my name is Dan Skvoda. I'm an editor based in out of Chicago. I'm the post-production supervisor at the University of Chicago. Uh, I love playing with new technology and breaking it. Yeah, and Dan has really created some interesting content. I've looked at your stuff online, it's pretty amazing. And then finally we have? Uh, my name is Matt Bach, I work for Puget Systems, and we uh, deal with the workstation side of things. So after it's out of the camera, you gotta deal with it in post, whether it's editing or VFX or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's our goal is to enable editors and VFX artists to really do what they love to do. Yeah, so it's exciting to have Matt on because I'm a geek and I'm shooting Red 8K and my machines aren't fast enough, so we're gonna chat after this. <laughs> okay. um, so Gary, you know, being sort of a technologist and evangelist, we've seen over, you know, the industry changed sort of slowly. We went from analog to digital, then we went from SD to HD, but it seems in the last five years or less, we've got IP, we've got UHD, we've got 8K everywhere in HDR. How are you seeing this affect the clients you work with and the work that you're doing? Well, I, I actually take it back just a little bit farther okay. because I mean, 10 years ago, we just started talking about 4K and now we carry 4K phones. <laughs> the technology is moving so quickly, we have to stay in front of it. And you know, when you think about content creation and, and how companies like Aerie and Sony and, and Panasonic and the other ones create technology that is future-proofing with you know, log files and how we handle those. But really right now, we're talking about HDR. If you shoot for the BBC, Amazon, Hulu, Netflix, even Apple's new video program, you need to work in HDR. And HDR is kind of a buzzword and people are just now starting to understand what it is. And it's a whole new world. It's more luminance, it's more color, but it's also new TV sets and new infrastructure and different ways for the broadcasters to have to handle that same data, especially as we start talking live content. So, Dan, I'm, we have sort of a kinship. I'm also an editor. I produce content. HDR is a big thing for me as well, and it's been confusing. How have you seen it personally in, in, in trying to develop the content, and do you see your customers just as confused as we seem to be? Mm -hmm. Well, the big thing with HDR is you have to have a monitor that's capable of being able to play it. And on the post side, you have to have the proper monitoring tools to be able to monitor it on the post side. So there's a couple of different things that make HDR kind of hard to handle on the edit side if you aren't familiar with how to work with it. So right now I think that digital distribution is probably the best way that you're going to see HDR, whether it's with Netflix or on, I've seen great content uh, on YouTube and just on my phone that is really compelling. 
So Matt, this obviously brings the question to you then, what are you seeing your customers? Because I know I've got a, an aging machine at home with a lot of memory and it needs mm -hmm. to be replaced and trying to chug through not only the 8K stuff, but also can my monitor handle, can my graphics card, what are you seeing sort of your customers asking for and what seems to be the most important thing for them? Is it the HDR, is it the higher 4K, 8K? What's sort of driving them? Well, I think recently for us and what we've been seeing, because we, we do a lot with um, smaller studios, medium-sized studios, mm -hmm. and for us right now, it really is the drive-in resolution. It's, it's the, people are still making that bump to 4K still. They're, they're still catching up, and now this 8K is on the horizon, so now they're having to look forward to the 8K. And it's just, it's a very big jump. I mean, each time you go from HD to now 4K, that's four times everything. And now going from 4K to 8K is another four times everything. And so yeah, it's just, it's increasing everything. You need more processing power, you need more storage. Um, and like camera manufacturers now, they're starting to use HEVC instead of like ProRes to record, and that's great for storage, but now you're having to really increase the processing side. So it's, everything's kind of a balance right now and we're not sure where it's gonna land. So we're just having to stay really nimble and, and just try to figure it out along with everyone else. So Gary, you obviously consult with, with big companies and small companies. From the smaller independent side, what, what do you see as their sort of biggest challenges they're facing right now? Well, I think it's just, I mean, people are confused. They don't know where to go. They're, they're you know, they understand 8K, they 4K, they gotta do HDR, they're talking 8K, so what's, what about 16K? I haven't settled on anything yet. So, so we talk to people about maintaining consistent balance with what you have to do and what you have to deliver and the future that's coming. Mm -hmm. You have to understand that it's still about what your deliverable is. And the first question any client should ask before putting in facility or anything else is, what's my deliverable? And what do I plan to deliver in the future? Mm -hmm. Whether it's IP or an indie filmmaker, you still have the same constraints about where you have to deliver content and where it goes. It's interesting. So, Dan, I'll ask this to you because it brought up a thought. What is sort of the craziest, and then maybe you don't have to go all that far, but where a client has come to you and asked for something like, I need it to be on 8K, and you find out that they're delivering on the web. And, and how do you deal with sort of oh. educating the client? <laughs> uh, I, before, I mean, before I worked at the university, I worked in advertising, and dealing with high-res files is nothing new. You know, I was getting 5, 6K years ago. And the deliverable oftentimes is now vertical. <laughs> so, you know, you want to talk about some sort of, like, you, you, uh, your, the processing power here when you're talking with computers, it's now you're taking a 7K this way and flipping it the other way, you know? Yeah, and I, st I still don't understand watching video that way. I'm, I'm old school. It's got to be wider than it is tall as far as I'm concerned. Uh, oh, there was actually, uh, I think Kimmel did a great thing online the other day about, oh, it feels tight here. It's like it's not wide enough. It was a beautiful piece. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've always got to convince my wife, Elizabeth, that, that Turn her phone when you take the video. So she always, whenever she's taking a video, will go, I've turned my phone. So Just wait till you have to take your 8K red and flip it. Vertically. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, Matt, the same thing. So when you have customers coming to you, what do you see them you know, sort of asking for? Are they really looking to, to future-proof their systems? Or are they looking for what's right now? Where do you see their confusion? I think that's actually a really hard question. I, I, people are usually coming to us, and people are looking for new equipment, including computers, to get a problem solved. And usually the problem today is they've made the bump up to 4K, maybe they got like a red camera or something, and their existing system just can't play it like live. Because you want to be editing live, you don't want to be chunking along or dealing with proxies if you can avoid it. And so most of the time it's just getting them to that point. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, future proofing is always something to keep in mind. The hard part right now is that 
the future is so open. Um, everything is moving to like GPU acceleration, but how far away is that? Or AI technology, how far away is that? And who knows? I mean, we've been talking about AI you know, here at NAB for years and years, and like it's, it's getting better and it's making progress, but how far is that from making it to like, a, like an indie filmmaker? Um, and we kind of have to make that guess. We kind of have to guess that, well, we know that, say, Adobe and Blackmagic are making a lot of advances in GPU acceleration, so you don't need as much GPU now, but hey, let's bump it up just a little bit because in a year, two years, it probably will. Mm -hmm. So, my day job, broadcast television, IP is a big thing, and IP transmission. Are you seeing that sort of make its way into the indie market? Are we still a little bit away from that? And does that add even more confusion? You're asking me, and it's like, I, it's not yet for the indie filmmakers, okay. but it's coming. I mean, when you look at how uh, Big Ten Network facilities are built, they're built on an IP infrastructure. As we start doing this, and we start bringing IP into the home and IP into the individual spaces, we're going to enable what Ethernet was developed for, mm -hmm. which is a server, client, receiver. And we're used to multicasting information in that environment, and that's where IP, I think, is a future. And let's be honest, it's a whole lot easier to cut Ethernet cables than it is to fuse, you know, run HDSDI or a limited run <laughs> HDMI, and especially as we start going into these higher and higher bit rates, the cables get shorter and shorter for the length, maximum length they can maintain a signal. It's a real problem. Ethernet's a is IP is the dream for us. Mm -hmm. So as an, sort of an independent film person and television person, do you see IP as being an important thing to you or how are you looking at it, Dan? I think it actually opens up a lot of doors for content creators mm -hmm. because um, I think it's going to open up a lot for advertisers. We customize advertising, things like that, to each individual user based on browsing history, which mm -hmm. I think is going to allow for a lot more content to be made. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I'm seeing it. Okay. Yeah, and that's the SMPTE, that's the SMPTE standard. Yeah. I mean, yep. That's the thing with SMPTE 2110, how it's going to be able to, we, we're no longer working in embedded society, we're working with proprietary cables. We can now access information where the machine room doesn't have to be in the same right. place on the floor. And it makes work easier for you because you can work remotely and he can build systems that do that and we can spread the infrastructure around. IP gives a lot of benefit for that, but it's just not for the small guy yet. Right. So I know I've been looking at, 10 gig has obviously become mainstream because I think you can buy a 10 gig switch on Target or Walmart.com nowadays. So Matt, are you seeing clients and customers asking for sort of 10 gig interfaces to be able to move files around and, and manage content? Yeah, all, all the time actually. Um, I think most of our systems that we're selling for like video editing, they have 10 gig native. Um, and I think a lot of that right now, at least with our customer base, is for future proofing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's because people are, they're starting to deal with so much data now that they can't keep it inside the computer. Or they're dealing with, you know, you've got a whole editing team. You can't just keep it on a one computer. It's got to be on a NAS or a SAN or something. Um, so yeah, that's incredibly important as we're getting into 4K, 8K. Um, and I'm a little bit worried that that's not going to be enough very, very yeah. soon. Mm -hmm. So um, that's why so many people are working off of like shared Thunderbolt drives because that's the only way you can get that speed. 10G is not enough. And so I'm excited to see what comes up next in terms of networking and how you can interconnect all these things because I mean, as great as Thunderbolt is, that's only one person really at a time that's going to be able to access it. Mm -hmm. So well, and, and I, I think we're going to have Let's be honest about this. We're talking about 10 gig. We're talking about 600 megabytes a second, and it's not fast enough. Yeah. And that's the say the technology. I mean, that's the interesting thing as we start having this discussion is we're talking about 10 gig. 
And, and we're looking at the data files going 600 megabytes a second is no longer fast enough? But, but I mean, it was 10 years ago, 600 megabytes was a dream. <laughs> yeah. And we were happy to get it, and now we've, you know, I, I, I kind of have, I, I stand a different attitude on Thunderbolt than Matt does, because I'm, I'm a Thunderbolt evangelist, I really believe in it. And I think it's that single cable connectivity that's going to take this to the way, because it has DisplayPort and everything else. I mean, uh, Phil and I were talking earlier in the week about uh, an array that's being shown here on the floor from Promise that's got an 8K HDMI, uh, not HDMI, uh, DisplayPort on. Mm -hmm. So it's got a full DisplayPort connectivity on the backside of, of the storage. No graphics card. It's just doing the pass-through for that hollowed-out lane in the Thunderbolt activity. So now I can have, I don't have to, I can attach my display technology to my storage and use it. And it doesn't take everybody the bandwidth that I use for that part, and it gives me one less connectivity in a smaller device. I think it's, I think the power of that, of, of all of this technology is smaller devices that we can carry with us and plug into a larger infrastructure at the facility so that we can do what we do. It doesn't matter whether it's me in a big facility or him in a small, in a medium-sized facility or you at a major broadcaster. It's going to be that interconnectivity of being able to take a single device and use it as the base to build on so much more. So, so Dan, I ask, want to ask this question. So do you think there's this cabal of manufacturers out there dreaming up these new technologies, 8K and HDR, in order to get us to buy bigger cameras, more hardware, or is it you know, our customers, our clients, asking for this? What, what's sort of your take on that? Well, I think all of these things are tools, and uh, for someone like you that shoots in exotic locations, if you take 8K HDR, that makes the content very immersive. So if you're, if you're looking at nature documentaries, things like that, this, that is where I could really see some of the power of this stuff because it brings, it's so immersive. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, and just in terms of how you create your content, is kind of where this technology meets the, the art of it all. Mm -hmm. so, so Matt, I'll ask you sort of a similar question. Although I don't lump you into that cabal of manufacturers because you're a builder. <laughs> but do you see the, sort of that same thing where um, you know, are you guys building the systems so that the customers, you know, if you build it, they will come? Or are you really being asked by the customers now to build these more exotic systems? And, and how do you balance where that needs to go? Yeah, well, I think right now, uh, camera technology is outpacing the processing needed to deal with it afterwards. Right. So right now, we are definitely trying to play catch up. Mm -hmm. um, and so it definitely isn't that we are putting a product out there that is more than people need. That I don't think there's anybody who is doing that when it comes to like workstations and processing. I think we're all playing, really just trying to play catch up. And I think it's just right now with like hardware technology, I don't want to get too into specs and cores and everything, but we're hitting the limits of what we can really do and, and what we're going to need from software developers. It's going to come from the software side, not the hardware side is they need to really be embracing GPU acceleration, embracing AI, and, and really developing things that direction. Because you know, as we're getting into these AK cameras that are all HEVC, that's really, really, really terrible to process. It should be able to be dealt with. Like we can, if our phones can play it back, we should be able to edit it. Uh, it's just that it's a lot harder to do it on the editing side than just straight plane. So there's just that catching up to do. We'll get there eventually, I hope. And of course, by then, then it'll be 16K and we're going to be right back in the same <laughs> yeah. problem. I know, I don't That's think we're ever, ever going to catch up. So, Gary, I'll ask you this question in, in regards to storage, because storage is near and dear to my heart. I have 100 terabytes of storage in my house, also acts as a spare heater for the home. That's all. That's it right now. <laughs> we're increasing that. We're going to go visit some places later. 
Um, I, I've noticed we've got the storage now with NVMe controllers really getting faster to help us sort of manage this these higher um, frame rates, the higher resolution, but they don't seem to be that dense. You know, we're at like one or two terabytes, but yet we're shooting 8K that has a much higher resolution. So we, we have enough, you know, speed and bandwidth, but we don't have the density. What, do you see that density coming? How do you think we're going to handle this? Well, I mean, it, it covers a lot of things, and, and back to what Matt said, I, had an, I have an old saying, you have to have a computer that's as current as your camera is, or they don't pair with each other. So the technology needs to be pretty concurrent to be even functional. But as we go forward in here, we've always had the limitation. We've gone, we may get back into the offline online situation where we're looking in world OS proxies, we're handling that kind of information and then finishing on a system that's built for it. But I mean, when you're talking about 8K uncompressed footage, I mean, you're talking six, seven gigabytes a second for data for a fully blown high-end workflow. Gigabytes per second. That's a massive array of data. Yeah. And, and not something everybody else can. But the flip side of that is the compression that we're using right now, the codecs that are available from the manufacturers and how we handle it, whether you work in ProRes or Avid's DNX or, or any of the other solutions, these codecs allow a lot of usefulness without having to, to suffer the processing power. Mm -hmm. And you look at what companies like NVIDIA are doing with real-time processing to be able to do 8K on a laptop, that's kind of changing the way our whole future is and is really indicative of where the market's going. Where, again, it gets that smaller, easier, faster, lighter. Yep. And then you plug into something larger when you get home. Um, yep. So Dan, if you had to, to come up with your wish list, top three things for your system that you need to get, what oh. would those things be? Oh man, that's an unfair question. Hey, hey. Uh, Ignore the camera, because we all know we always want the biggest and best camera, but from a hardware perspective, editing, monitor, drive, bandwidth, you know, what? I, uh, I kind of have to agree with Gary, where uh, I like editing on a laptop. I like the freedom that it gives me to be able to unplug and plug back in and move and shake and kind of do those sort of things. So uh, I love an eGPU, a big, a big fat one. Uh, I would love a big HDR monitor. That's um, affordable. That is affordable. Yeah. Affordable is a big right. question. Yeah. Uh, and then another one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Matt, you know, what are the, let's, let's flip the question for you, since you're a provider of these things, what are sort of the top three things that are being requested for systems that people are wanting to have built, sort of that indie film market? Well, I, I would say number one is it comes into storage. Mm -hmm. um, we do regular feedback sessions with our customers, and number one thing that always comes back of like, what do you wish you had done? It's not getting more powerful CPU, it's not getting more powerful GPU, it's I wish I had more or faster storage every single time. And that's why I was excited about the question you asked earlier about storage, because I feel like that is the one area where computers and hardware are catching up the fastest. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned NVMe stuff, and that stuff, yeah, it's really small drives now, but if you look at it where it was two or three years ago, it, it has really increased and, and become affordable. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, we're expecting, I mean, they keep saying this, they re, redoing it every couple of years, but I, the last I heard was, Solid state storage is supposed to hit price parity with like the platter storage in you know three or four years, mm -hmm. and when that happens, that is going to be absolutely amazing. Reliability on those drives are like a lot higher because nothing's moving, mm -hmm. and you know speed is way higher. So yeah, every I think storage is the number one thing always, mm -hmm. um, and then after that, I think it just comes down to their workflow, everyone's different. Um, if someone is doing VFX stuff, it's going to be different if they're mm -hmm. using, say, After Effects or Fusion or whatever, versus a video editor. So I, I think after that, it really broadens out to exactly what they're trying to do. 
Yeah, and, and I'm more like you, Dan. I like to, uh, you know, edit on a laptop. I, you know, as you mentioned, I travel to exotic locations, you know, <laughs> Chernobyl, Kazakhstan, and I like to be able to see what I've shot. And so for me, yeah, I want, I want fast enough drives and CPUs and GPUs, but it seems that density is not quite there. I've, re you know, I've been following what is now what we refer to as NVR NVMe since when I was, I think it was originally labeled Optane and X oh, Crosspoint, no. you know, three, four years ago, I was excited, mm -hmm. you know, and the drives are finally here, but they're two terabytes, and I'm like, we need to get these things bigger and faster. Do you? Well, I think Optane's going to solve that. It's yeah. like you were still waiting for the, the density for, for to start working in more than two dimensions for storage online. <laughs> you know? yeah. We want holographic storage. We want to be able to put binding content in multiple different directions on the drive so yep. that we can do that. We do it with multicasting now. Yep. We just need to pack data on the drives more. Yep. So now I'll ask the question. This is that Ford Chevy question. You know, Alexa, Red, or Ari, Red, Panasonic. How important is it, you know, Dan, from a, um, an independent cinematographer to choose the, you know, and I'll use the term very broadly, the right sensor manufacturer? Is it, is it really a driver for, obviously they all have resolution, they have the color sciences. Is that something that your customers are coming to you and saying you need to use this, this manufacturer, this type of technology, or is it really up to you as the storyteller? I think it's, I don't like to tell anybody what camera to use because I feel like that's a very personal relationship with who's ever mm -hmm. shooting with it. And I don't want to tell an artist what paintbrush to use. You know, I mm -hmm. trust the person that's going to be shooting it to shoot it with the best tool that they think. That said, I have never had any problems with Alexa footage, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Gary, so obviously we talk about the, the technologies and the HDR and the drives and 10 gig and stuff, but probably the one of the most important pieces of the entire image chain is the first piece that the image starts on, the glass, the oh, lenses. Yeah. So are you seeing these new technologies driving lens manufacturers? Oh, certainly. And, and especially as we start getting into higher, higher resolution, we're, we're working beyond the, the resolution of what film was. Mm -hmm. When we start talking about 8K and 16K, the design of the lenses has to be at a level that supports imagers of that size and the pitch of the imagers and all of that. And, and that has been one of the biggest things that people have seen. But on the converse, conversely on that, we also have to, we have to retain the characteristics of optics as to why we like them. I mean, there's a reason why people shoot anamorphics. There's a reason why people work with old style glass. There's the cooked look. There's things that people do that are inherent in the cinematic feel of those. You know, we talk about bokeh and everything else, but bokeh could have been done on a smaller imager. It doesn't really matter. And it's, the technology is such that we can do anything and it's that people need to stop and just learn some of the processes for this. But, but no, the, the quality of the glass is the biggest important and you're seeing it. I mean, I, I went to the lens launch for Fujinon last night where they're leading the Promista zooms and it's like, they're as good a zoom lens for a full frame camera as I can possibly imagine. And the specs and everything on you look at it, it's like, wow. And I think that's the point in time. But you also have manufacturers like Tokina and Sigma those doing low cost glass that makes those kinds of quality affordable to everyone. So we're in a great time. I mean, because they're servicing the high end and the cinematic filmmakers, but they're also giving content for the indie guys to do whatever they need to. And it supplies the whole chain when you do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, well guys, thanks a lot. I could go on forever with you guys. <laughs> this, this is, I'm a geek and I love this stuff. So first let me thank all of you guys for being on here. We're gonna chat afterwards, I've gotta get a machine. <laughs>
This hour is sponsored by BitCentral, efficient media workflows.